0: The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone out after him. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What happened? I mean, what happened? Like in the midst of that very week, what happened? I mean, how do we go from Sunday, where everybody's praise and thanks and honor and glory and everything is good, and that there is this great celebratory parade, to just a few days later, that there are shouts of, crucify him, that there is a question put forth before the very crowds that once had praised and honored and welcomed him, that shall we send forth your Savior, your King, this Jesus? Or would you like Barabbas? You know, the insurrectionist, the terrorist, which one would you like? Well, obviously Barabbas, right? Is that what happened that they could go from such an extreme to another? That how do we begin to put into context, how do we begin to understand that kind of reality? I mean, I think that we must ask ourselves that very question of what was in their hearts. And on their minds, what was their motivation, their inspiration for the things that happened that week? Yes, we can understand the disciples who ran in fear and fled because they were afraid of what might be done to them. But what about the crowd, the large, the number that what happened? I mean, today in John chapter 12, we hear of the great praise and honor, the great high, uh, high thanksgiving that is given of this King who has now come. I think that's maybe a little bit of what we have to wrestle with. What did they believe that they were now proclaiming and praising and celebrating as they welcomed this King, this Messiah, this promised one into their midst? And while we're asking that question, we might need to ask the very same question of ourselves. So what's in our hearts and our minds as we come to welcome this King Jesus into our lives. For they had every reason to celebrate and praise that here was that good news of a King who had come to save them. But what was on their mind? that Jerusalem swelled to three times or more its size as the people streamed in from every part of the world at that time and came in to sing praise and to remember and honor what God had once done in Passover. For in Passover, God had worked on behalf of his people, delivering them from the slavery and the bondage of Pharaoh, delivering them from the murderous and violent and terrible rule of those who indeed enslaved and ruled over them. And so now what did so many yearn for as they celebrated again this Passover year after year after year as once again they found themselves under that rule of those who reigned by violence, by murder, reigned by power to the extreme, that what motivated many to so willingly within that crowd to welcome Jesus in this way? That there were political motivations in the midst of these things that they were looking of what could they get from Jesus, what could he offer them in the midst of things, is that in many respects, is that they found themselves at times more in love with the idea of getting rid of the Romans rather than welcoming in their king. They were more excited about the promise of what things could be than what He instead had to offer. I mean, here comes Jesus, their King, and yet He does it in a way that does not set expectations, does not fit their categories, that Jesus comes with humility. He comes not on some noble steed. He comes not on some war horse. He comes not with some great army that is there. He comes surrounded by peasants and fishermen and farmers from up north. He comes riding on a donkey. See, he comes subverting the very expectations that they so long for. See, what is it that we see? We see that too often the crowds, too often the human heart does what? That it seeks God and His power, it seeks Jesus and His promise, not for the very motivation of what it is, but instead what it can give. See, there was a distinction that was pointed out to me some time ago that I find simply has convicted me again and again. That do I look to my Savior because He is beautiful, worthy of my praise, worthy of my worship, one who indeed calls forth in me the joy and celebration of the crowds that day, of one who is simply celebrating Or do I see my Lord as useful, as useful to meet my agenda, my wants, my wishes? Do I sometimes find even that I seek Him, not just because of the honor and the praise that was due His name that even the stones could give on that day, but do I at times come before the Lord? with my own motivations, my own back story. How do we enter in to this very king and enter in to this very kingdom? That Jesus is the one who comes not as the one who is there for the nationalistic hopes of Israel at that time, is that he comes instead as the one who is the God of the nations, That he comes not to destroy the Romans, but to change the Romans, as well as the Israelites, as well as so many others, by the good news, a gospel message, a promise that we can change, that this world can change. How many years... Decades, centuries, millennia must go by and we see the same thing. That how do you get things done in this world, we believe? You get it done by power or money or prestige or honor is that we believe that the way to start revolutions is that very way of getting your enemies out of the way, getting them out of positions. But is that how this king operates? This king, surrounded not by angel armies, but by peasants and fishermen and farmers, as one who comes not in royal robes, but will soon be crowned with a crown of thorns and be indeed encircled by the very mock cloak that they will place upon him. That so often we find ourselves needing to look at what is it that is going on here. What is it that we might have to ask ourselves? What is it that we are not simply wanting to go back and wish of what things could have been or what we could have seen? I think on Palm Sunday, so many of us wish that we could have that kind of experience, to feel the press of the crowd around us and just the joy and celebration, to hear the shouts, to hear the honor, the praise. We wish that we could have been there to observe, to experience, to feel the very joy. And that somehow would be the thing that changed our lives, that somehow, that if we were just there, put ourselves into the experience, then things would be different. But is that what happened? And if that's even what the gospel proclaims to us today, that what does it say? That as John begins to proclaim all of the things that happened and tell and put us into that situation of all who cried and clamored with palm branches in their hands and he proclaimed everything that was there, that what does he then say? that his disciples did not understand these things at first. (laughs) They were there. (laughs) They experienced it, and they felt the rush of the moment, and yet they didn't get it. We don't need to get into the experience. We need to step out of and back from the experience to reflect, to look upon, to indeed think about what are those motives, what is that that's going on here. That what does it say? That they did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and that he ha- and what had been done too. They remembered and reflected and began to apply and begin to think of what does this mean? That in this world, God calls us out of the very things that are going on, all of the things that are there, from the very illusions of power or riches or wealth or influence, of all of those things that we think this is how you get the job done. Jesus did not come to destroy his enemies. Jesus came and gave himself for his enemies. That he gave himself for you and me as it proclaims in Romans that even when we were enemies of God still caught in our sin, Christ died for us. If we would have been there, we too would find ourselves wondering, what happened? What happened to the praise that was on my lips just a few days ago, that now as I run or I flee or as I cry out, crucify Him, that all abandoned, that all fled, and yet Jesus does not abandon them. Jesus does not give up. He does not turn back. Jesus does not look out to this fickle crowd and say, you know what, I'm going, it's not worth it. No, Jesus sees that this is what he has come to do. That the world looks to places of power, but Jesus calls us to look to the weakness to the places where God sees that even in those places where poverty or too few people or too less strength or too many worries or too many concerns or too many places, that that is where Jesus says that I desire to be at work, to bring hope to the hopeless, good news to the prisoner. Indeed, to set the captive free. Today, Jesus comes. He comes not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment. He comes not to wipe away his enemies, but to die for his enemies and to make them his friends. That Jesus comes to us today for the very fact that He desires to change our lives with a message that He goes to that cross, goes to that tomb, goes to that very place that we might be changed, not by a world that continues to try to simply lead us astray, but to change us by a power of a gospel that says that though you are weak, In me you are strong, though you may stumble and fail, that in me you are perfect and loved. That even the very enemies on that day Jesus uses in ways that they could not imagine. That just before our reading is that we hear the very words of those who will carry out this very arrest and crucifixion of Jesus say this. That in John 11 it says, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? So what does power do? (laughs) They used its to its own violent ends. For this man performs many signs that if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away our place and our nation. But one of them, Caiaphas the high priest, stood up and said, you know nothing at all. He was a nice guy you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for one man to die for the nation than that the whole nation should perish." He had no clue, no idea of the very good news that he just pronounced there that even in his own power as he sought to simply eliminate his enemy, he did not understand that it was the very truth of God, that it was better for one to die so that the many shall live. Then may that very message of one who was willing to give up so much that you may be welcomed into that very crowd that sings His praises and will be welcomed in to that parade at the end of time. May He give you this day and every day that very peace of God that surpasses all understanding, that it may guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.